0: You're listening to Out of the Box, a place for marketers to get inspired, get going, and break Out of the Box. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Out of the Box, the podcast for out-of-the-box marketers. Today on the show, we have Adam Lavallo, who's a founder of Groco, um, better known, or potentially some of you may be more familiar um, with MAU, uh, the very successful mobile conference Um not behind, in front of Groko, who's going to be talking to us about uh, community and trends in the mobile app ecosystem. Adam, thank you very much for being here today. My pleasure. So you've had quite a wide-ranging career, starting and running content for a really successful conference. Uh, You run your own growth agency. Can you tell us how you ended up where you are today?
1: Yeah, I I was very fortunate. I I joined what was then a four-person startup in college as an intern. I was 19 at the time. Um, (laughs) The dream. Yeah. Well, largely. Um, That company was very active in the Facebook app development world, which um, has a lot of parallels to the mobile app ecosystem, actually. So they're building Facebook Canvas page applications. Um, I was just an intern, though. Uh, Later that business sort of pivoted and became, um, a daily deals company. So it was called living social, uh, still kind of around mm. today was competitive with Groupon. I
0: remember them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, um, just largely as a function of being there early, uh, ended up in charge of what we at the time called user acquisition, which you might <laughs> now call growth, which was basically yeah. paid UA. um, some product conversion stuff, retention stuff, et cetera. So that's how I got into the um the growth world and starting the conference business, the conference series was a, a kind of a natural extension of the work that I was doing day to day.
0: So did you run it sort of in parallel to your day job?
1: Uh no actually. So I I I was sort of coming to the end of my living social tenure. You know, it was a really great run, but the business was I think starting to struggle. we had raised a ton of money um, and it it frankly didn't look like it was gonna be a great outcome um, and so I thought okay well what else could I do uh, rather than joining another company as a head of growth which would have would have been awesome too um, i I met, uh, I met a guy who became my partner and he said, hey don't you think there might be an opportunity to create like a community and a series of conferences around this? "Quote unquote growth marketing trend," um, and that was that was basically the en- entire gist of the idea, uh, and that's that's what we did.
0: And and did you did it feel sort of risky to to say, okay, I've been doing paid UA, <laughs> now I'm going to start a conference series um or did it feel like you guys were at the beginning of of catching a real wave that this that growth marketing was going to take off um and you were going to be early to the to the sort of party in terms of offering a community alongside it
1: yeah uh, well so uh, my partner had had started and run a very successful conference business in a, an adjacent vertical um, he, he ran, well, founded and sold, uh, an event called LeadsCon, which is if you're in the lead generation ecosystem, that's like the event. So I was pretty confident that he knew what he was doing. And I was also pretty confident that, um, this growth marketing thing was going to stick as a, as a concept. Um, what we were not sure of was, well, how long is it going to take for it to be successful and what form will it be most successful? You know, what, what is the likely outcome? That was all a question mark. But I I was pretty fundamentally confident that it made sense. Um, and really, you know, there's a, there's a ton of conferences. Like there's no shortage of of conferences and online marketing content and so on. But I really still, even to this day, think that people that self-identify as growth marketers kind of are a little different. And it means something a little bit different. And they're largely underserved. Like there's a million conferences about quote unquote online marketing. And I, I just don't, I don't think it really encapsulates what growth teams do every day. Um, so I still think there's an opportunity even, even beyond what we've done today.
0: Well, you you know what I'm going to ask how, how are growth marketers different? And when you say growth, do you mean specifically mobile?
1: No, so I definitely don't specifically mean mobile, although that's a big part of it. Um, uh, and I'm talking about, web, which these days is largely mobile web and and native apps um, and to a lesser extent other platforms. Um, to me, uh, it's a cross-functional skill set that's that's largely what it is. Um, so growth teams are more likely to be working on paid UA for sure, but also have a hand in you know like user onboarding and the product the underlying product itself. Some growth teams are in charge of monetization uh, retention via channels like SMS and email and push notifications. Um, you, you might be more likely to have dedicated engineering, both front end and back end designers, UX, et cetera, as part of a growth team. So, um, and that's just a part of it, you know, not to mention like data science and stuff doing, doing, uh, you know, predictive LTV analysis, that sort of thing. So I I really see it as a cross-functional skill um, in some respects pseudo-technical. Uh, to be fair, I think a lot of people that call themselves growth marketers just deal with paid UA all day and there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Um, at all, uh, it's, it's kind of just rebranding the title marketing, uh, basically, uh-huh. um, but there, there are definitely <laughs> growth, growth teams out there that to me embody what it really means that, that, you know, have that cross-functional sort of scope.
0: And, and where is, uh, where, where are GroKo and, and MAU today? And I, you don't even have to answer from the Corona perspective. Well, we can get to that later, but kind of from it, all other things being equal.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, the, the we, we kind of started to focus on the MAU event, which is our mobile apps event, because it was just the most successful and uh, I, I just thought it was resonating the best. So that became our primary focus, almost our sole focus, Um and minus uh, coronavirus, that event, you know, has grown year over year. We continue to attract more people internationally and more people from other verticals. You know, the event sort of started out like diehard mobile mobile folks like Zynga and Uber and whatever. Um, but now you've got all kinds of companies coming out of the woodwork that are interested in well fundamentally networking, but also just ha- have a mobile app that's consequential that's really the prerequisite so um yeah, the plan is to to keep going pretty much um i think it's I think it's a useful event for the ecosystem um you know for the industry, and so our intention is to is to keep it going but like when i when I take a step back it's it's hard to predict these things, but it's really hard for me to imagine that that event won't continue to grow over time because, um, you know, the mobile app space,
0: it really the mobile space, yeah, it's
1: <laughs> growing tremendously. Um, and it's not, you know, it, it's not really just about a couple big Silicon Valley companies and gaming, which is what it was, you know, five years ago. It's, it's really about every business, potentially.
0: So in, in Iron Source, we actually, I think we start more um content in other forms and and over the last couple of years we've really taken content onto our events or into our event strategy do you see a kind of opposite uh, trajectory for mau where you'll go from um, a very very successful conference to branching out into other forms of of content or other vehicles for delivering content
1: potentially um we've thought about particularly in light of all the corona stuff well should we have a a podcast should we have original written content etc um i think there's something about in-person events that is you know you can't easily recreate as an aside i hate webinars so i'll just just (laughs) put that on the table like if somebody in the world enjoys watching a webinar i would love to meet them because it's absolutely the worst fucking format on the planet so like um so yeah i i we're we're so partial to to in person events we l- probably will launch something um but uh you know it's 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 a challenge like the the for an a, an event organizer you can sell tickets and uh you can sell sponsorships and as a business it it the the, the economics can work you can work really out. invest in it yeah. yeah, the challenge is that even if you write the absolute best blog post, research, report, whatever, the best one in the world, um, it's still a very targeted subject matter that we're talking about. So you might only drive a couple hundred readers or a couple thousand readers and media in that form, as uh, your user acquisition listeners well know, is often sold in CPM terms. So I could write a killer blog post, sell it at a hundred dollars CPM for a sponsorship that surrounds it and generate a hundred dollars that's just part of the challenge of uh like b2b publications so we'll see we'll see i don't know for sure uh,
0: and speaking of of content how have you seen um i mean you've talked a little bit about how the event and attendance has, or type of diversity of attendance has shifted, but what about trends? Uh, What topics have you seen uh, remain relevant year after year, and what are some of the new things that have popped up, which you've, I mean, I know you added a a gaming track, I don't know if it was, I think, last year, two years ago? Um, Yeah. How have you sort of seen content trends change?
1: Well, so years ago, it was really The ecosystem was so new that discovery, in and of itself, was part of the value. Like, oh, I have never heard of solution provider X. I should learn what they do. You know, Um, uh, that's no longer the case. Uh, Certainly, if you're new to the ecosystem, you know, you're launching an app or something. You know, you you might um, you might be debating between which MMP to use or which user acquisition sources to buy, et cetera. So there's there's still lots of things that are new to lots of people, but by and large our industry is relatively well understood. You know, the major players are clear um, on the solution provider side and the, and the media sources side. So the discovery element has uh, diminished. Um, That's a trend. Number two, uh, paid UA is a big driver in the mobile space because as everybody knows, um, the app stores are great, but there's a, Absolute incredible number of apps in there. So, discoverability is a challenge. You're not usually going to just push an app into the app store these days without some paid promotion behind it and be successful. So, that's still a big focus. Um, That said, I think everybody recognizes that, um, you know, just just running campaigns with the right partners, Facebook, Google, Iron Source, and others, um, is insufficient. To be competitive, like creative is a huge driver. How effective the app is in retaining people, you know, from a product standpoint is a huge driver. How effective the app is in retaining people from a CRM standpoint is a huge driver. Like, basically, there's not that much leverage, in my opinion, in the pure media mix. It's relatively well understood if you know what you're doing where you should be spending money. So you have to compete on making your dollars more efficient so that you're inherently more competitive in these, in these auctions. Um, so that's where I think a lot more content and interest falls. It's like, okay, well, what could I do, whether it's you know on the creative side to make my users 10% less expensive to acquire or on the product and CRM side to make them 10% more valuable, because I know that extra 10% spread might enable me to, to increase the scale by 50%. You know, it's not a linear relationship always.
0: Um, so
1: that's kind of how I've, uh, how I've thought about the space as I think about, you know, finding speakers and stuff.
0: What do you think would have been the highlights of, of this year's MAU?
1: Oh man, I don't even know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) well, you know, honestly, from the beginning, like I'm not really a conference person. I, I actually generally dislike. Wow, really? conferences. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I think they're usually a waste of time. And so um, in putting together with MAU, I always intended, I said, well, how could I, how could you put content together that's useful? Whether or not people sit through the sessions in person or watch them subsequently, you know, recording wise, doesn't really matter. That's fine either way. But like, can they be useful? Um, and so for that reason, I always tell everybody, Hey, like you're doing this work day to day. I'm not right. It's been years since I have. So just take something that you actually are doing in your job. That's interesting and describe it and that's it. And don't be too worried about being super strategic, you know, some high level esoteric concept, just, just Describe some like little test you ran, and that's going to be more useful to everybody in the room than anything else. So I always say, it's all about tactics, not strategy. And for that reason, the agenda is pretty random. I don't try to, we don't try to superimpose some, you know, macro theme. I I think that's so stupid. Um, It's just like, hey, you've got, this this is an industry of relatively experienced people. So just let them talk about stuff. But if it's interesting to them, it's probably going to be interesting to the room. So, yeah, you know, it's that. That's, I'm. Uh, I personally am more interested, I think, in the like product and CRM sort of subject matter. Um, uh, even though my background is is in the user acquisition side, and I know that the best. Um, so we had we had a, a lot of cool talks lined up there, but you know, I'll. I'll at our next event, we'll we'll hopefully. Re- reprise a lot of those speakers and you know it'll be great so
0: um and we've talked I mean I mentioned that you added a a gaming track uh,
1: Mm -hmm. to
0: MAU and we've seen certainly we've seen mobile gaming pick up steam over the last few years and in fact um a podcast I recorded a few days ago we talked about how uh first of all how growth in, inside gaming, growth does encompass pretty much what you've described, right? A lot more than just um, I'm running my campaign, I'm doing my paid UA, and now I go home. Um, and and that to a large part, game companies have perfected that uh, ability of or that approach of widening uh the relevance or the sphere of impact of growth or sphere of responsibility maybe do you think that the game industry has had an impact on the wider mobile industry and and will it continue to do so
1: oh yeah i mean that's a given like um basically in the mobile space gaming advertisers are probably pound for pound the most sophisticated because they're in the most competitive market not just domestically but internationally um i say that as a us person um and In case uh, it wasn't clear, yeah, yeah, exactly. Can can tell from my accent. Um, and uh, no, that's going to continue. I mean, everybody in the mobile space looks to gaming um, as yeah, as as like the bellwether for the industry. So, and you you even see a lot of people coming out of the gaming world and moving into non gaming categories to try to infuse that kind of um, that kind of DNA. Um, and to be fair, like I'm not saying that you know, mobile gaming people are like God's gift to the earth. Uh,
0: They're just people... forced to be more kind of Yeah, like, it's just think,
1: you, gotta compete. Probably, you gotta
0: compete. Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit like what you were describing earlier. Um, sort of if you there originally it was just the store and then it was expanding your or diversifying your media mix and then it became creatives and, and sort of product CRM, etc. I think probably all of those successive um how do you put it kind of thresholds of uh competition were breached inside the gaming industry first uh potentially before trickling out to the larger mobile no doubt and, it, and it,
1: it predates the mobile app ecosystem so like okay. you know who are the most competitive mo- uh, facebook app developers companies like zynga and playdom right so that's not a coincidence um and it predated the facebook app ecosystem you know just regular uh html yeah. games and stuff so like it's um you know, it's just. A, it's, I think it's just a rule of thumb in online advertising that that is uh, always going to be one of the most casual gaming. I think in particular is always going to be one of the most like cutting edge um, tactically. Uh, and I, yeah, that that's definitely the case even today. Mm.
0: And this is a slightly off pieced question, but what would you say is one of the challenges of marketing to marketers?
1: Well. Okay so so here I think it's I think it's um just actually creating content that's useful like 99% of the research reports and blog posts uh god bless them but are written by people who don't do this <laughs> and so they're bad like painfully yeah. bad um like there's huge companies really sophisticated companies that you know employ tons of really smart people tons of really smart marketing people and they'll write a blog post that's like five tips to scaling UA during like the holiday season. Like number 1, <laughs> like make sure you customize your creative so they're holiday focused. I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like this is a joke. So I think um yeah, I think authenticity and like quality is a, is a really big challenge. Um however, uh one thing I found that user acquisition people do respond to, growth people do respond to is like actual real examples of things. And so it's no surprise that probably the most effective and useful B2B content in the mobile ecosystem are index reports from like the mobile measurement providers, for example, describing these are the traffic sources that are the biggest and here's how they compare, you know, rank in terms of volume and quality and whatever. And so, you know, you've got AppSlyre and Branch and all, all these guys putting together their own spin on, on that kind of an articulation. And they're very useful. It's like, oh, um, you know, X, Y, Z, random programmatic network that i had never heard of like is actually really big in apac like i should call them like so um yeah so i think uh, i think that's a good example of executing it well uh, but i now say this even as myself um you know outside of the grow.co world doing my own like services agency business like easier said than done like it takes time and uh writing uh you know i try to write my own original content and I thought, oh yeah, blog post, a good blog post will take me an hour. It takes me ten, so um, you know it's it's non trivial.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it. I think it comes down. Um, certainly, we found this to be true. The more insistent you are on delivering real value with your content, the longer it's going to take you um, to to do it. But if you get in the habit um, of of creating valuable content, then that sort of gets easier over time. Um, cause also you're not, you're not wasting your time with things like five tips to, uh, you know, to doing user acquisition during the holiday period. Yeah. Uh, cause that can take time too. <laughs> Perhaps that's
1: true. I, I, you, you would know better than I would honestly.
0: Um, so uh, last couple of questions. What do you, cause I don't know if it's the elephant in the room, but we are living in Corona times now. What do you think is going to be the impact, uh, on, uh, in-person events? I don't know.
1: Um... I genuinely don't know. I mean, I think, I think in-person events have a ton of utility that cannot be replaced by um, online stuff. Uh, may- maybe there's people out there who disagree with that statement, but I, I feel quite confident of that. Um, we're operating under the assumption that you know you could add a lot of additional safety precautions and hand sanitizers and so on um, that could help mitigate things, but. I'm not sure how long it will take the macro event ecosystem to kind of return to normal. It may take a very long time. But I I, I don't know. I just think I think there's a lot of value in the face-to-face networking aspect of it. Um and that's what we're planning on. As it stands, we have dates on the calendar. We've postponed the event, our event, from May to September, and I s- think that's very likely to change um, again. Uh, so really, we're looking towards next year. Um, but yeah, I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure. I'm not sure how long it'll take. But, but I the
0: in-person s- event won't disappear.
1: I don't think so at all. I mean, anybody who thinks the in-person event is gonna disappear, I I volunteer you to watch five webinars and tell me if you're fucking. Possibly- <laughs> Like, I mean, no way, like there's just no utility. And I say this going back to my days, you know, I was, I was the head of user acquisition at a company spending nine figures a year, us dollars. I had 15, 20 people on the team. Like the only way I met people outside of my own company and industry was at events. Otherwise I had literally no vehicle to do it and it didn't help. I was in Washington, DC, which is not exactly a tech hotbed. It's a bit easier. Yeah. It's easier for people in San Francisco to lesser extent, New York, but like, you know, it's, I got a ton of value out of meeting peers from other categories and um, also vendors, uh, whether or not you work with a service provider, the service providers are exposed to more data points on a daily basis than any internal company, because by definition, they work with many companies, you know? So I look at my campaigns every day if I'm the CMO, but um, my account manager at IronSource probably works at 20. Uh, so like that has a ton of value and again i don't think i don't think the peer to peer or like the vendor to to marketer dynamic is is replaced by anything other than in person events uh, in the long term
0: do you think um vendor companies have gotten better at not at sort of leveraging their perspective to deliver truly valuable content or no, is it? no.
1: <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I, I um, didn't
0: even need to give you an all. <laughs> I mean, there are exception cases.
1: Um, and obviously, you know, all of this is completely subjective. And not everybody likes the things that I like. So who cares what I think? But uh, no, I, I genuinely don't. And I say that because right after I hang up here, I'm going to put together my newsletter for the week. And I subscribe to like a billion RSS feeds, you know, to the extent they're still out there and tons of other newsletters. And it is a struggle to find stuff that I find personally interesting. And so the newsletter is just literally things that I find personally interesting. That's the only criteria. Um, And, uh, and so no, I think a ton of it is so lame. Like, um, the, the, the lazy modern answer in Corona times, uh, is to conduct random interviews. Uh, hopefully not this one. Um, (laughs) and just be like, Oh, you know, we interviewed so-and-so who said nothing like mm-hmm. nothing I think, I, think, I think part of the challenge is a lot of the data that vendors have is, can't be shared because the clients don't want to share it right and so that's a fundamental challenge I, I get that um, but no I think like I said 95% of the stuff that I read is like just a waste of time
0: um, last question
1: mm-hmm. what
0: is the most out of the box marketing you've ever done or seen done
1: so the, my favorite thing, um, this is a random, but uh, we were targeting small business owners, okay? So we wanted to reach small business owners. We wanted them to work with us. So it was more of like a kind of SMB campaign. And we made, um, we sent a custom letter. It was a form letter, but you know we would mail merge in the, their name and market and city and so on. Um, we sent... Case studies that were specific to their category, so if they were a baker or a restaurant or a skydiving place or whatever, we'd have relevant case studies. Um, we made and this is like kind of I think funny publishers clearinghouse style checks. they're literally fake, fake checks. so it's like, hey we, you know we work with this merchant and we, they, they made fifty thousand dollars and you know said it said void and stuff. Um, we would hand sign them like so there everything was looked like it was personally sent and then the key was we would send them um via FedEx requiring signature so wow. you know when you get a when you get a package that requires signature especially you if you're a small business it's pretty serious yeah. like could be legal or could be I don't know who knows um <laughs> so they work like a charm they were very deceptive so probably not I don't know it was the right thing to do in hindsight but uh they work really well um yeah that's my that's my favorite thing
0: it sounds kind of like hacked hacked abm in a way
1: um oh totally totally it is and you know it, it's not it, it, but the the key i think was the was the fedex signature required thing and we you know we got to the point where we were sending i had a team of guys uh interns many of whom are now my friends Yes, you know, years ago um we were sending i think thousands of these things a day because they took quite a bit of effort to put together. So yeah, we were we were um we were like one of the larger FedEx volume mailers for a period of time in the Washington DC area. Uh so yeah, that's a that's a fun one. I'll never
0: forget that. Uh nice. I like it. Love the specificity. Um and and great great chatting to you, Adam. Thank you very much for being on the show today and thanks everyone else for listening.
1: My pleasure.